It's the Duffin' Up Podcast. All right, Duff Daddies and Duff Mamas, we have a very, very special guest for you tonight. He is the co-host of The Par Train, one of the premier golf podcasts yep. on yep. the entire, on every platform known to man. Uh, fantastic Instagram follow, fantastic TikTok follow social media master we have on the what i call the zen master of golf but what he has just told me that he likes better is the ted lasso of golf we have on the most positive man in all of golf evan singer evan how are you doing tonight i'm good thanks for having me guys now i will say i don't prefer that it's just someone i've other people have, have called us that which i was like blown away by so both the zen master of golf and the ted lasso of golf i i don't know if i'm worthy of those but uh it's very humbling and i'm honored to be called that thanks for having me absolutely evan so first question what is the maddest you've ever been on the golf course in your entire life we will take it Mm. away from the zen side we are going directly back into my my domain we're going into rage golf right now well, that's, that's a good question. Um, I've actually been reflecting on this. You guys are going to be the first to hear this because I've been wanting to create a video on this. Uh, I've realized recently that, and I will reflect this and relate it back to the everyday golfer in a second, but first I'll share my point of view on it, is I've realized that I've been putting so much pressure on myself, not to start too heavy, but I mean, you asked me to, so here we go. Um <laughs> I've put so much pressure on myself this past year to be the success story, be the case study for all of our listeners. And what I mean by that is, you know, leverage my mind in a way that it's a tool instead of a detriment. And even when I don't have it that day, even when my body feels off, even when I feel impatient or frustrated to find a way to salvage it and stay upbeat, stay positive. Right. And so, um, like I know, you know, I coach golfers with the mental game and I know a lot of people follow us now on the mental game. And so sometimes I'm out there and I'm not feeling great. And I tell myself, you should be feeling great, you know? And one thing I've realized is that's almost a trap too. You know, you can't go from feeling frustrated to really excited. You know, sometimes you have to go from being frustrated to a little less frustrated or frustrated in a way that doesn't necessarily get in, you know, my way. So um, I'll tell you a perfect story. Last weekend, literally three days ago, I shot a 50 on the front nine. Now I'm a seven handicap and uh, I've been as low as a five. My handicap's been going up a little bit. I've been working through some things in my swing. And I haven't shot in a 50 on a front nine in a very long time. And I don't know if you guys have ever had those nines or even 18s where just it doesn't feel right in your hand. Something feels off. And even though you know that you want to commit, it's actually physically difficult to. There's just something yes. where it's, it's very difficult to let it go. Right. And, um, you know, so in those moments, that's a good example of feeling actually a lot of shame and frustrated because it's like you know i put a lot of time into this game it's my life now uh i put a lot of money into it 
And it's easy for me. I, to, I'm being perfectly honest with you. Sometimes I feel like not putting out a video the next day after having that experience, because who am I? You know, so this recent shift and realization I've had is, look, and Gary V said this recently that I really liked. He's like, look, I don't, I'm not out there telling you that I'm like the, the biggest expert on the mental game. I'm just a mental game enthusiast that it's helped me a lot in my life of what I learned off the course. And I love using the game of golf as a way to practice it. Right. And so, you know, on the front nine, I shot a 50 on the back nine, I shot a 37. And here's where the, the mental game is really interesting. You know, a lot of it is what you tell yourself. A lot of it is um, what you focus on. And a lot of that's habits, right? But a lot of it's physical too. And you can use the awareness you have for your mental game to also plug into physical stuff. So one thing I realized was, huh, okay, I'm going to take myself out. I'm going to observe that shame I just experienced. That's not me. That's just the story I'm telling myself because I want to be here, but today I wasn't. So that doesn't mean that I suddenly suck. It just means I'm having a really off day. Okay. So it's the hardest game in the world. I'm lucky if I play once a week, let me be a little less hard on myself. What am I going to do in this back nine? I'm playing with my soon to be brother-in-law. I don't want to be miserable. It's hot. Like, let's just enjoy ourselves. Okay. So I took the pressure off, but then I thought to myself, well, because I'm feeling like it's very hard to commit right now, what am I not doing? And I realized my body wasn't really firing. So like the thing that I do when I play my best, I, I was all arms, you know? So I was getting really tentative and I wasn't releasing the club because I was holding on to it and my body wasn't firing. So of course I'm getting misses that I never see because I don't do what I normally do. So then I just focused on like a really like tempo, really light takeaway and just fire through my body, you know, kind of like I did when I played baseball and I shot a 37, you know? So that's how crazy this game is, is it's like, and I think that's the thing for everyone to remember. And everybody's had those tales of two nines, right? Um, but it's not, everybody's gotten down on themselves. I do it. I do it probably more than you would probably think I do. But I think the, the prac, it's a practice. I think that's the key, right? It's a practice to maybe decrease the amount of time you feel down or accept that you feel down and play with it versus putting yourself down for three more hours because you feel down, right? It's a weird cycle like that. It definitely is. And I, I know that for a fact, going kind of reciprocating a story. Like I swear, every time I shoot a great round, it is followed by a terrible, terrible round. For example, I shot for the first time ever this year, I shot uh, 79 on a par 72 course. I was pumped about it. Awesome. Go out two days later. It's a different course. It's a much harder course down in Hilton head um, where my family is. And I go out and I shoot a 95 and I'm just like, of course, of course this would happen. But like, I, I didn't get too mad, but I was just like, you would, I just had blow up holes where I was just like, 
I, w- I think it was plus five through the first three holes. And I was like, okay, this is, this is how it's going to be today. Let's just, let's, let's and get through it. Let's do it. Brendan, let me ask you, did it feel worse? Because the entire time you were telling yourself I'm a 79 shooter now, I shouldn't be doing this. Yes. hundred yeah. percent. I was like, I was like, I, I shot a 30. Oh God. What was it? I shot a 40, you know, a, a 40 on the front nine and a 39 on the back nine. And I was just like, I think I had six straight pars on both and I was just feeling it. And I was just like, and I think I had like one birdie on the back and then no birdies on the front. But like, you know, when you're just like, I I was, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be really, really, really bad right now. I was on the par train. Like I was feeling it. Like I felt great. And then you go out two days later and I was like, I was, I was like bogey bus. Like I'm on you right now, man. And I I don't think I can get off. (laughs) Well, isn't it funny, Brennan, how you weren't trying to shoot a 79 the day you did? No. You were probably just out there. I'd be curious to hear actually and unpack what you were thinking and what you were focused on. Mm -hmm. Um, But the next day you carry the expectations that you can do it again. And it's funny. A lot of people are like, no, it's my swing. What do you mean? Like, how could my, my mind make me hit it OB? Well, your mind, your brain tells your body, right? It has to start here before your body moves. So if there is anything that could get in the way of what your body does naturally, your any thought that could create interference or tension will get in the way of your true swing coming out. And expectations is the number one thing that gets in the way so it makes total sense that's that happens to a ton of people and we do uh, mental mailbag episodes where we you know answer four to five uh, voicemails that come in and that's a really common one I will commend you though Brennan because most people the question is how come when I shot the 40 on the front I shot a 50 on the back and a lot of times that's because they're thinking about breaking 80 and their whole approach changes Right. So yeah, I crazy game, but it's a practice, right? There's no, I've made it. There's no finish line. There's no, and let me ask you this, Brennan, when you shot a 79, what changed in your life? Uh, just me being really happy. (laughs) Like like I bought, I I played with my mom and, uh, I, I like bought her lunch and bought drinks and I was (laughs) like, this is great. You know what I mean? And then I go out and, uh, when I'm, when I'm shooting a 95, I'm riding with my dad and I'm playing with our full family. I'm playing with my sister and my mom, my dad. And uh, yeah, like they're feeding, they're, they're feeding me drinks. <laughs> they were yeah. like, we need, we need him to feel better about, you know, and, and like jokingly, of course, cause alcohol is not a crutch or anything, but like, they're like, <laughs> like when he's playing bad, just give, just try and get him another drink. It'll hopefully like, you know, kind of snap out of it. And it's like, it's not really a snap out thing. It's just, and, and what you said too, it's like, it's kind of an acceptance. And I think I got to the point in that round where I was like, I'm not going to go 79, but I was like, let's try and keep it in the eighties. And I think if I would have gone what you said and just like, screw it, not even think, let's not even think about anything. Let's just take it one shot at a time. I probably could have bounced back from, I think I shot a 48 on the front. And then a 47 on the back, I probably could have bounced back a little bit more on that 48 and maybe gone to like a 42 or something like that. And, and been a little bit more, I wouldn't say respectable. Cause it's, 
it's it, it's whatever but like i mean you know you hear about all the stories about people like when i complain about a 95 and there's people that have never broken 100 before so i'm not yeah. gonna do that um but yeah i think you know and, and one of the things i've definitely caught on listening to you guys a lot more is that kind of mental side of just kind of just got to let it ride here and there sometimes and and that's going to be the most important part of it too where once you get your mental game in place and i think for me it's definitely around the i know we were talking before and you said it's around the greens as well a lot of times it can be just on the green for me and it's just like brendan don't three putt brendan don't three putt Mm -hmm. and you hit your first putt and it gets it like halfway to the hole and it's like why are you even telling yourself not to three putt like just just hit the putt and you'll be fine yeah and that's just a pattern right that I mean, that doesn't need to be the reality. That could be what you've done this time. But Bob Rotella told us, he's like, look, if you do nothing else, focusing on where you want it to go versus where you don't want it to go is the number one thing you could do. Now, the one thing I want to say, Brennan, why I asked you that question, because I don't want to act like the breaking 80 doesn't mean anything, because trust me, I get it. It's an amazing feeling. I think the point I'm trying to make, though, is once you do it, you think that you reach this peak, right? And then once I get there, oh, then I'm going to get to scratch. From once I do that, the floodgates are going to open. And sometimes they do. But my point is that once you achieve something, it's going to feel good for what? Day, two days, maybe a week, maybe a month. But then after that, you're going to want it again. And you're going to want better than that. So that's why placing all of our worth and look, I'm not perfect at this either. This is a practice like we talked about before, but identifying your worth and your happiness with those markers will always leave you wanting more because that marker will change. That's a moving target, you know? So I don't want people to think, well, just don't think about it when like, if you know, your second round um, it's okay to think about it. It's okay to acknowledge that you're thinking about it. The only difference is to accept that you're thinking about it and choose to think about something a little bit more productive, right? Sometimes the, I shouldn't be thinking about it. Why am I thinking about it? That's what creates the negative spiral of that resistance and the interference in the first place. So, you know, acceptance is a big thing. Um, And understanding what you did that day, physical and mental, because maybe it wasn't your game. Maybe it was, you just weren't committing, right? So then maybe instead of focusing on your score, maybe you, you calculate your commitment percentage and you change your success metric to something more executional than result focused, right? Um, maybe it was really windy. Maybe you just didn't judge the, the turf that day. It was a different course. It was a harder course, a 79 on one course. It's probably more like an 86 or 85 on the course you played, mm-hmm. right? So there's ways that we can kind of, you know, think about it where it, it doesn't feel as drastic of a, I'm on top of the world and I feel like shit, Yeah, you know, maybe no, 100%. we find a, a happy medium, but there's nothing wrong with celebrating and feeling great about the accomplishment. It's only when that accomplishment gets in the way from you doing it again the next time. Oh. I, lo- I love that. I love that, Evan. It's it's definitely exactly what you said on that side. Like, and 
my biggest thing is I'm sure like everyone, you get down to a course where there's not a lot of water and, and you're able to like kind of not spray it, but you know what? You have a lot more leeway. Yeah. So the course I shot 79 on, a lot more leeway, a lot more leeway, a little bit of a longer fairway, but I mean, just the hazards in general, like the water's not really there as much. And if you do find it, like you, you, it's not good. Um, and then on the other course where you shoot a 95, there's water on every hole and it's my mom's favorite because it's beautiful and it goes <laughs> out to the ocean. So we have to play it, but I hate it. And my dad hates it and my sister hates it, but she loves it. So we got to play it. Um, but you know, you get into that area too, where it's just in the back of your mind, you're like, I never play well at this course. And then it comes into fruition. You know what I mean? So it's just like, I, I definitely feel you on that side to try and almost like reset your mind every time you're going to play. And I think for me at least, and I, I kind of want to get, um, you know, one of the one of the best podcasts I think I've ever listened to is when you guys were talking to uh, Chris Nagel, who has become a bit of a, a cult hero, I feel like, in, in the PGA Tour world, as, you know, they say the best player to never have stats. Although I, I think he ha had... I'm not sure if he ever had PJ tour status or not, but he's considered the best no. player to never, to not have status in golf right now. Yeah. I think he qualified Monday qualified five or out of seven times this year played into it like four, it, four uh, out of five maybe, but then he is within seven weeks had made the cut at the U S open. So pretty good insane. run. Yeah. It's insane seeing that and him going in on a Monday qualify on and, and him telling you guys, I have to, like, it's, it's not a yes, or it's not like a, I expect to, I want to, it's like, I have to shoot. I have to hit nine birdies today. If I don't hit nine birdies, I'm not making it. And I'm over here, like poo pooing my, you know, not poo pooing, but being like, just the expectations management for me. And when you hear that, it's like, I also need to pull back and be like, I'm not him. Like I am. And, and that is something that I definitely think, listening to you guys a lot and, and getting that side, but also listening to amateur mindset versus the pro mindset series. I know you guys had the red rooster uh, group on and, yeah. and just being able to hear those different stories about what you need to be like, how you need to separate yourself and not have those expectations that you're going to hit it in the fairway at 275 to 290 every time, and then stick it within 10 feet and hit the birdie putt. Because most of the tour players don't can't even do that on a regular basis either. So being able yeah. to kind of hear both the pro side of like, this is what I need to do, but it's also my living versus the not pro side of go out, have fun and have your expectations, but just know you're not going to be that guy out there is something that I think taking it, that I take from your guys's podcast. And I definitely use it uh, to kind of help on that kind of positive image side that we did talk about earlier too. And can I squeak in here? I can't get a word in edgewise. You guys, I, Evan, I can listen to you talk all day. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but like, I feel like you're on the golf course with me. Like you just know exactly what on in my mind. Um, but I guess that's part of just being a golfer and we share similar frustrations on and off the course, you know, and, and uh, what, what Brandon was just saying is like, if I don't score nine birdies in a row, then I'm quit. Do you have any advice for, for myself and any listener who struggles with this where, you know, maybe you start out, um, you know, even par under par for, you know, like the first six, seven holes. And then 
okay, there comes that eighth hole. We make that triple bogey and all of a sudden the wheels fall off and you're like, you think it's the end of the world. You know, what's going on mentally in my head? What's, what's a way to fix that? And I love what you said that um, maybe it's not going to get better that next hole, but it's going to get better eventually. And, and so I don't know if you have any advice, you know, it's, I'm sure people go through it all the time and, and, uh, but please, I'm going to shut up because I just want to hear more of what you have to say, Evan. It's incredible. Keep going. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, I think the first thing is uh, treating the triple as information instead of a sounding alarm. So why'd you triple? Did you get excited? Did you take the wrong club off the tee? Did you not realize that there was water there? Were you thinking about, did you not commit? Were you scared of making a mistake? Were you thinking about where not to go because of the great start you had? You know, maybe you didn't judge a lie correctly. Maybe you picked the wrong club. There's a million things. And Colin Morikawa's coach talks to us. We've had him on the show a couple of times. And that's how he and Colin work together. So little story, he and Colin, when they practice growing up, because he's been Colin's coach since he was eight years old, um, mental and physical coach, by the way, swing coach and mental coach. Um, he would ask Colin to drop a ball and it's on Colin to pick the club and the shot and to hit the shot, right? Then they would come, they would say, okay, what'd you learn? Maybe Colin would pick a different club. Maybe would Colin would say, oh yeah, I didn't realize how thick that rough was. I probably should put that a little back in my stance or take extra club, right? So Colin gets the choice to pick something else on the second ball, third ball, Rick, the coach chooses. So what Rick was doing is he was using practice as a way to ingrain that level of thinking when you're out on the course, right? And so one story, um, one of my favorite analogies is um, back when I used this analogy when, um, what's that show from Netflix that was huge with the game of chess? The something Gambit. Oh God, yes, Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit. Thank you. So yeah. when Queen's Gambit was really popular and everybody was like getting into chess again, uh, I realized, you know, when you're backed into the corner on a chessboard, you don't tell yourself how much you suck and freak out that you're backed into the corner. You think to yourself, you're literally in your mind thinking, well, if I move there, that's not good because the pawn will get me. Well, if I move there, I'm setting up something bigger for the queen. Okay. I really have only have three options. I'm going to pick the third option because it's my best move here. Right? So that's how the best players in the world play golf. They think to themselves, okay, I'm behind a tree. What's my best move here? And you, Dr. Joe Parent, the author of Zen Golf told us, Give yourself the best chance to make birdie without taking an unnecessary risk. And for some people, that's par. For some people, that's bogey, depending on your level. But it's all about where can I put this ball that where I'm the most comfortable, so the club that I feel the best about, the angle that gives me the widest part of the fairway. And if you play that type of golf, you're probably – going to be in a better position and that's kind of a way to hack your way into 
playing shot to shot because you're embracing that it's a game of recovery. Because a lot of times I hit my best shots out of the trees, but a lot of people do because our focus is like this. It narrows, you know? And um, I used to have a lot of stories about, God, I God, if only I could hit a fairway, you know, but then I was creating this story about how bad I am off the tee. And that's the thing getting in my way from being a better golfer. So of course I have anxiety on the tee. So then I started telling myself, I am an incredible player out of the trees. Like one day I play with my buddy, Chris, Chris is in the fairway, every hole just off the fairway. Maybe I'm punching four irons to the front of the green and getting up and down. And he's like, I, I can't even believe that you're doing this right now. I beat him that day. Wow. And so that's maybe, you know, a reminder of the importance of practicing the short game and stuff. But like overall, to answer your question directly, um, I think it's trying to become curious and remove ourselves as best you can. I know it's easier said than done. It can be very frustrating. Um, but if you can use those times for information, instead of defining you, it'll, it can help you reduce that negative spiral. So that triple bogey can be a laughing moment. And like this, this, this freaking game, you know, but what it also like, what did I do? Yeah. I kind of got out of my routine that I did whole one through seven. So I just got to get back to my routine. And then it's just a very matter of fact, logical way. If you, you watch the pros I mean, they're hitting it all over the map and they're very like shoulder shruggy about it. You know, they just kind of walk to their ball and they hit it. So, you know, I think pros underreact, amateurs overreact. And uh, that's a good reminder for that stuff. Unbelievable oh. answer. I'm so <laughs> glad I asked. <laughs> oh, hell, Evan. Jeez, a Lou. Um, how did, when did you start playing golf? And at what point did you turn from, just your average amateur golfer to someone who just like almost studies the mental side of golf, because you are a, you are a perfect example of everyone says golf is 90% mental. And from all of what you just said, everyone can agree. Everyone listening. It really is 90% mental because before is that your mental thought about standing over the ball is going to affect you physically. Um, Like you said, and it's going to, take you out of your comfort zone of doing your routine and everything like that. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah. And um, so I, so when did you get from being an average golfer to, to being someone who is on the mental side of golf specifically? Yeah. Well, I'm still probably an average golfer, but uh, <laughs> um, I, so I was, I'm from St. Louis originally. I'm in Los Angeles now, but I uh, like most people in St. Louis, I was, baseball obsessed that was my sport I used I like bought a book about how to get discovered by scouts and I would practice every day with my dad I knew all the fundamentals I knew the situations I just loved working on something I loved being you know getting better at something and um, I was a late bloomer so I was like five two as a freshman in high school and um, you know everyone else is so much bigger and faster than me and um I was like five, seven as a senior grew to five eleven now. So in college, I kind of shot up, but long story short, baseball wasn't really 
I thought I was going to play in college. I thought I was going to play pro. It didn't end up working out that way. It broke my arm, my junior season. And there was just something about it that I kind of lost the fun. You know, everybody kind of has that varsity coach or coaches that it becomes a job. It's so serious and you kind of lose the love of it. Um, so I, there I was as a senior and I'm like, well, you know, I could win my spot back as a senior and go to Florida and play practice these two a day practices and tournaments, or I could try and play golf with all my buddies and go to Mexico for my senior trip um, as a senior in high school. And, you know, I chose that. So the day that I uh, got my, uh, I was cleared by my surgeon after all my rehab on my arm, I went to the driving range first place I went and I never played baseball again. And uh, I think because I wouldn't allow myself to play golf because I played baseball and it kind of messed with my swing a little bit. I think that delayed gratification made me an even bigger nut. So I was always a fan of the game, but I didn't allow myself to play. And I used to hide the fact that I was like buying self-help books in high school and like going to that, that aisle in Barnes and Noble and Borders um, and like reading these like self-help you know, mindfulness books, um, that long story short, my, one of my best friends moved in across the street from me when I was 12 and his parents were super into that. And, um, one day he just said something to me. I was like sick. He's like, it's probably something you're thinking. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm just sick. There's no relation. What are you talking about? Long story short through their influence and a book that his mom gave my mom, I found it in her trunk. I started reading it. And I was like enthralled by it. I bought every book I could find. I used to hide it from people, like I said. And, you know, as I started playing golf, I, I bought the book Zen Golf by Dr. Joe Parent. And I realized, holy cow, this is, golf is the best. There's no better mirror of our thoughts than the game of golf. So I used to love that the stuff I was working on in life of not letting external things necessarily throw me off my game mentally, like I could be the chooser of the way I feel based on the thoughts that I think I was just fascinated by that. Like it made me rethink the whole way I was living my life. I stopped feeling like a victim. I started, people kept, kept noticing, like, how are you so positive all the time? And I was like, well, it was a practice. It was a choice, you know, like I'd rather look at things in the bright side than that everything sucks. You know, one makes me feel like shit. The other makes me feel happy. So you know, you might make fun of me for it, but at least I'm happy. So uh, that's kind of how it started. And then I was like, wow, golf's such a great practice. And then in 2016, we started the par train and it wasn't mental game right away. Um, we got to a point where I was like, you know, we're kind of like everybody else right now. And like, what's our niche? Like, what is the thing that is really true to, to us and me? And I just loved geeking out like I could geek out with you guys for hours on the little things that make us do what we do and what makes us cringe versus get excited and finding people's patterns and what they value and then helping people you know become more productive with the way they think and happier and so we started doing that with golf and to me I don't know I I get comments all the time that it's like the ultimate cheese ball these this is a cringe account you know and yeah, sometimes it's, it doesn't feel good to read that, but other times I just remind myself that like my messages, our messages, it's not meant for them yet. 
So it's okay. Like there's people that also tell me that I've changed their life, which is like the most amazing thing I could ever hear. So, so now, you know, we, I, I'm trying to help people use the game of golf in a way that doesn't have to be so negative and just constantly putting ourselves down and be about getting wasted and like loving the time away for our wives. Like if that's the way you see the game of golf, that's cool. Like no judgment, but I'm trying to use the game of golf as a way to help people become happier, more fulfilled people. And that is kind of cheesy, but I don't know. It kind of changed my life. So I'm trying to do the same for others. Boy, that, that 1970s feeling of I'm playing golf to, to get away from my wife. I, I still, you still hear that out on the course sometimes. And it's always funny. I'm yeah. just like, okay, that's, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And that content does work. Like, obviously yeah. there's a ton of accounts and platforms that get shared probably a lot more than my stuff does. Um, but I just made a decision that I'm just going to stay true to me because I want to help people versus, you know, just putting stuff out there that I think will get likes and follows and stuff. Absolutely. No. And, and that is, I, I feel like for, for everyone, that's so important to have kind of the different areas where you can go. If you want to see like stupid people doing stupid things on the golf course, which like, I don't personally enjoy that much when I see like, guys driving the golf cart into the river into the lake like okay that's fine um <laughs> you, you there's plenty of guys out there like you know james nicholas and a bunch of the other tiktok guys who just are the smoothest swingers i've ever seen in my entire life like i can go i can go there for them i can go to your stuff if i'm like feeling pretty blue and it's just like hey don't just let's get yeah, everybody's back on got it. their and thing it's it's ours is ours it's just, we stink at golf, and, and but we still love it. So that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like that's, that rings true to, to kind of everyone too, where you kind of need that, you know, you, you each, everyone has their own little areas, but at the same time, like, I like that everyone kind of interacts with everyone's little area too. And, yeah. and it, it's great to be able to hear kind of, you know, the important thing that you mentioned too, is for every, you know, one hateful comment, you probably get five better comments, but yeah. our natural reactions, I feel like is to look at that hateful comment and be like, well, why did you do that? Instead of yeah. thinking about the, oh, like you changed my life. Like you've changed my golf game for the better. And I feel like you're, you're got you guys and, and you especially Evan, like definitely constant, like have, have evolved to concentrate more on the positive ones. And I love when you guys share like the messages were from people where it's, it's like, I was really down and I listened to one of your episodes or, you know, I saw like an Instagram post and, you know, it just made me feel a totally different mindset and, you know, stuff like that makes me feel good. So I, I, I definitely enjoy when that comes across the timeline as well. Yeah, no, same. I appreciate that. I mean, the one thing I'll say on that is we do that, a, a, a negative comment kind of similar to a bad shot. Right. So like, let's say you shot an 81 instead of 79. It's pretty common. And I made a TikTok on this, but it's pretty common to end the round and say, well, that three putt or that double bogey is why I shot an 81. But you know what we don't do? 
you forget about that 10 footer you made or that up and down you made from the trees or that unbelievable chip shot you hit, you know, like I, I think when you hear the pros talk, talk, it's, I, it's very apparent to me that you have to pull the good because if you don't pull the good, how are you going to keep going? You know, it's just going to be, it's, it's much harder. You know, it might be true that double probably didn't help you, but I guarantee you that if you were one or two shots off your best score, you probably did a, a shit ton of stuff really good. Yeah. And that could be, I mean, we and one guy call in for our uh, mailbag episode that's going to drop on Sunday. And he talked about how he shot like an 81. He never broke 80. And he, I think, what was the word? Devastated. And what other word? Like back to the drawing board, I think is what he said. And we said in our response, like, hey, man, I get it. I know how you feel. I felt that way. But you are not back to the drawing board. You're right there. You know, and I think that's our our job as humans is, look, I've been studying how to use my mind more productively since I was 16 years old. I turned 35 next month. And if I don't remind myself of stuff, I forget it. It's just the way we're wired. We're wired to see the negative and the threats because that's how we're designed to survive. So, you know, I just, I think that's an important thing to reiterate to people is there's no such thing as I made it or I finally got it. You know, it's only about being committed to the repetition and the practice of it. So something to remember. No, absolutely. That, that, that's makes total sense on my part too. Like, got to think about the pot, like, and, and like what you, and when I brought it back up, when I brought up the Chris Nagel part earlier before, it's like, I have to constant, you know, I have to go out and get nine birdies. I have to stay, I have to have that positive mindset that I have, that I, not that I have to do it, but like, I have to have the mindset that I'm going to do it. And I feel like that that's like a huge positive mindset there too. And, but boy, I, if I ever told myself I have to go out there and get nine birdies, I would be sorely, sorely disappointed at the well, end so of get the round this. for sure. Get this. You guys saw, um, what was his name? That one. I forget the player's name. He made a quadruple bogey on the first Tom hole. Thomas the Tank him. I okay. Oh, my God. So get this. I have been on. Speaking Timmy of Chris knows Nagel. this. That's why Timmy's laughing so hard. I have been on Ju Young Tom Kim for, for, since uh, since the U.S. Open when I found out he goes by Thomas because his his favorite Thomas thing growing up was Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah. So he called. So his parents started calling him Thomas. And he's like, every time I come to the U.S., I gain 10 pounds because of all the McDonald's I eat. I'm like, I love him. I love him. I can't <laughs> yeah. help it. I'm like, this is the great, like, this is the greatest guy. And he had another quote today that he has not checked his bank account yet to see the Wyndham reward, to see the Wyndham money come in. Cause he says, Tiger never had to check his. Why should I check mine? I'm like, this kid's amazing. I love that. Man. That is the most positive thing I've ever heard of. I might life. use that. I am I so sorry that, that I, I took it off the rails on that, but I know where you're going. Sorry. I'm just, I, I, I have found my new favorite Korean golfer and uh, our other co-host, Brian is a big Sun JM guy. So now we have a little rivalry. Oh, and nice. It's amazing. So I'm actually going in a different way than you probably think. So I'm not going to uh, go the bouncing back after the quad to win a tournament. That was amazing, oh. but 
speaking of Chris Nagel, imagine having the year that he had. And that win by Kim bumped him from the Corn Fairy Finals. That I long hear shot that. win bumped him from Corn Fairy Finals. So imagine being one of these guys where you're just fighting to get starts and status, and you actually grind better than probably anyone's grinded on the Monday circuit, maybe ever, or at least in a while. I don't know the, the, the history, but I would imagine he's up there. And the, then to be told that you can't get to the, the, the finals to fight for a Corn Ferry tour card. I mean, that if think about that, Chris has to focus on the good because if he beats himself up over one putt or, I mean, he missed it, you know, by a point or two, um, you know, that's going to be tough to swallow for anyone, but just remember that example, because the only way to keep going is to remember the stuff that, you know, that you, that you've done well and learn from the bad stuff. You know, absolutely. And it's crazy because I know they said, um, you know, there's like everything going. And I think uh, the Monday Q info guy actually mentioned him in like a tweet the other day because uh, it's like Bubba Watson and a couple of other guys who like have basically already signed their live contracts are still on the lit are still on like the FedEx list because they have not teed up yet. But so they're not getting. Yep. I got I gotta go. I gotta go. No problem, Tim. <laughs> Thanks, right. Tim. Evan, I have oh. a good golfer poll for you too, specific to you. Shoot, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, make a TikTok for you and I'm gonna send it to you for a golf poll. Okay. Ball. Evan, Thanks. I love- Thanks, All right, see you. Unbelievable. Call calling in on. I totally forgot that he he mentioned yesterday his uh. Getting getting off the rails on the podcast, but that's okay. He mentioned yesterday he he was filling in today, so he had a shift. But I I, I uh I totally for I totally forgot about it. But great to hear great to hear from Tim. Um, so yeah. Oh God, where was I going with that? But yeah, so it's uh it was Bubba Watson apparently, also and a couple of other guys as well, um are still like on the FedEx Cup list, and they knocked off like. I think they knocked Matt Wallace out of the FedEx cup playoffs. I think they knocked like a couple or uh, yeah, a couple of guys got like knocked out of the corn Ferry tour finals too, because of, uh, because of them still being on the list, even though they haven't officially, you know, teed up for live, they've already signed their contracts and they're going. So it, oh, it's wow. crazy to hear on that side too, where it's just like a bunch of the guys grind. And like you said, like with Chris, especially like a bunch of these guys are grinding like crazy and to miss out by a point, uh, I don't know if you saw the Justin Lauer interview after, um, after hit after he made bogey on the 18th hole, and it like knocked him from like 123 to 126, which ended no. up being 127. But he just got up there and he was like crying, and he's oh, like, "Oh, I did see a little bit. I of that. need to yeah. find the positives in this, but right now this just sucks." And yeah. I'm like, I can imagine like being in that mindset of like, you had a pot, like I. I well, I can't be, I can't imagine being in that mindset, but just on the mental side, like, Oh God must be absolutely brutal. Like I talked about earlier, like, I don't think sometimes I think people get it mixed up that like our stuff would say, no, he needs to be positive right away. 
I'm not saying you need to be positive all the time, you know? Um, Cause if he was trying to be positive in that moment or getting down on himself that he wasn't more positive, he would have felt worse. So yeah. in that type of thing, it's okay to feel down a little bit, you know, it's when it starts to, you know, get in the way of the stuff you're trying to do. That's when these tools become really valuable. Gotcha. No, and I completely agree on that side. It's, it's definitely one of those, um, areas where I feel like all the golfers need to improve on, uh, kind of the positive, yeah. but at the same time, like there's going to be times when, when you're negative and you just can't, and exactly what you said to start, you just can't help it. Sometimes you're going to be negative about something. You're not feeling great that day, but it's, it's kind of pushing through that. So hopefully we get to see like a bunch of those guys push through that on that side too, which would be amazing. Um, Evan, I, I know we, we talked about, um, definitely been talking all, all of the, the you know, the positive mindsets and everything like that, but two areas I definitely wanted to cover with you real quick was number one, uh, your podcast about going to Bandon dunes and, and playing it for the first time. And, you know, for, for people that don't know what Bandon dunes is, it's, it's, pre, 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 it's one of the most prestigious press. We're going to do this one last time. Prestigious. <laughs> courses in america uh commonly um the, you know their their first course is almost every year in the top five i feel like um you know they, they i know they've added a couple uh at least one other course there too it's kind of like with whistling straits has a straits course and the irish course i know they've added i think one or two more courses out in bandon um but i i definitely want to hear you know your first time there and i know you had uh, a couple areas on on your on your podcast where you're talking a little bit about the miscues and, and, you know, being there for the first time and, and what you enjoyed about it and what you thought you could also improve on. So definitely want to hear kind of your side of, of playing, you know, one of the most prestigious courses in America and being able to, to take it in, but at the same time, you're still playing a very, very difficult course and you might not be playing your best. So like, yeah. how, how do you kind of go with that on that side? Yeah. So Bannon has, five courses in the top 15 in the country so there's no it's been called the number one golf resort in america definitely one of the best in the world easily um and it, this was actually my second time going but it was i talked in that podcast a lot about what i did differently my second time versus the common mistakes i made my first time which i think is so important because you know you spend this is a trap in golf right you spend a lot of money on it you go, you put add travel to it you've got that narrative going where if you're not playing well it can feel like a waste it feels like all that build up all of that money all of the travel time to get there can feel like a waste um the things i'd say about going to bandon is i think i see a lot of people do things at bandon that i think would be great to do at every other course, which is, it's such a special place that people are excited to be there. People are just happy to be there. And um, I think because it's a links course, link, five links courses, uh, the most common mistake that people make when going to Bandon is they try and play the way they do at home at Bandon. They'll play for, I don't know, three plus days, 36 a day. And right when they're about to leave, they start to realize how to play it. That's a mistake I made. I was working on my swing leading up to it. I should have been working on how to flight the ball down. 
and practicing my <laughs> bump and runs and my yardages with a half, you know, what does a choke down five in the back of my stance do? You know, how far does that go? That type of stuff. So I think Bandon Dunes Golf Resort really is a great teacher for playing the way that the golf, playing what golf gives you, right? So you shouldn't really even be using your 60 degree wedge if you're not, unless you're in a greenside bunker. Like you should be using pitching wedge, nine iron, or even less everywhere around the greens. Um, I didn't even like hitting full shots because it's such a sandy soil. So what I would do is I'd put it back in my stance, whatever the yardage would be. I'd take two more clubs than what that yardage would call for. And I'd hit little punch shots in the back of my stance. And here's the thing. When you commit and submit to, I'm going to play a different style of golf than I'd play anywhere else. It kind of, it can be really, really fun. If you're fighting it the whole time, it can be really frustrating, right? So it's kind of that acceptance piece again. It's like, you just kind of have to accept this is Lynx golf. You have to play the way that Lynx golf calls for. So instead of just hitting a 60 yard shot to the middle of the green, flying it all the way, you can get a little creative and say, oh, well, the architect, look, it's got this big mound on the left side. I'm going to run it up that mound. I'm going to see if I can roll it back towards the pin. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But at least it's fun to try, you know? And yeah. um, the other last thing I'll say is sometimes I've found that we can put these courses on a pedestal and we're almost intimidated by them because of that uh, lead up of the anticipation of the prestige and the rankings and the money. And, you know, it's just a golf course. It's beautiful. They're amazing. It's one of my favorite places. I, you can see, I've got a bunch of signs on my gallery wall from, from Bandon. Oh, yeah. um, but it's um, it can be a trap that it can make you, it can be challenging to commit because you can be so tentative because you're in awe, right? So I would suggest be in awe, but do it in a way that is a little bit lighter. I think a sense of humor is really important. And that's abandoned. That's everywhere. You know, you kind of talked about earlier how people get really down on themselves and they try and turn it around. Just having humor is a great way to do that. Like Dr. Joe Parent, the author of Zen Golf, told us like when you hook it 80 yards left OB, and there's water right. Instead of getting down on yourself or hitting an OB, he compliments you on how good of a job you did of avoiding the water. Like you did a really good job avoiding that water. Right. Oh, that's the awesome. And that's just like, now the information is you probably were really focused on where not to hit it. Yeah. Um, let me maybe pick a club. If I'm really uncomfortable that lays back, doesn't even bring that water into play. Um, and focus on where you want to hit it, all that good stuff. But the point is, is that that's a really great way to disarm that panic siren that goes off when you make a mistake. And I think that's really important at Bandon. Um, I will say, I lie. This is my last thing I'll say on Bandon just because I love it so much. <laughs> the one thing you have to do, if it's possible, is play the preserve first. The preserve is arguably the best 
short course, par three course in the world. Every hole is on the ocean. Um, could have been an amazing par three in its own right on any big course. Um, but it's casual. You can play with as many people as you want. You get little bags to carry six clubs with you. You can play barefoot if you want. Like, But playing the preserve first is a really great uh, light, um, casual way to learn how to play Lynx golf before you play the big courses. So practice your punch shots, practice your bump and runs, and you'll learn really quick which shots you can't hit and how to flight it and all that stuff. Um, but that's the biggest mistake is people try and play the way they play at home. They don't know how to flight the ball down. They don't accept that it's links golf. They use their wedges and not playing the preserve. I would bookend my trip. I'd start my trip with the preserve. I'd end it with the preserve. Um, but Very if they want more details, obviously my podcast on the Bannon trip, just search out of the office Bannon dunes. I've done. Yeah, I've done one. Um, I've, I've interviewed Chris Kaiser, who's the son of Mike Kaiser, uh, the owner of Bannon uh, a couple times that talks kind of about the history and, and things about Bannon. But if you want to like, give me pro tips before I go, definitely listen to the out of the office uh, Bannon dunes. episode. That's amazing. No. And, and I, I do feel like, especially here in America where we do not like what you just said, like, I think there's, you know, maybe 10 true, like probably more now 10 to 20 true links courses in America. Whereas, you know, you go over to, you know, the UK and Ireland and like links, links golf is, is just there. So we have an entirely different way of playing golf. We play the, what I, I was talking to an Irish buddy, he calls Parkland courses where it's yeah. wide fairways, big, big rough, like trees everywhere. Trees. Yeah. Um, and, and you just go and, you know, your whole point is to hit it high and to hit it far and you want to see how high and far you hit it. And then you get the wedge out and you spin it. And, you know, that is kind of the American way versus when you look overseas and you, and you see the guys playing in the UK and Ireland and, and all these links courses, they are exactly what you said, playing the bump and runs. I, I remember watching Rory at the, the open open this year and cam Smith at the open this year, even though he's Australian, it's a little different, but you know, them being able to play it a little bit better. Whereas even though Scotty Sheffield played great, you know, he's still, he even said like, he's not comfortable on links courses yet because it's just not, it's very much like how Bubba Watson was never comfortable at link, never comfortable at the open championship, even when he was at the top of his game back in 2010, 2012, because he was, I hit a high cut and I know I can get it over these trees with this high cut and that's great. But then I come here and I hit a high cut and it goes, instead of going 310 yards, it goes 250. And Oh, by the way, it didn't cut because the wind is 30 miles an hour off the, off the ocean. So you just, I just find it fascinating how you have to play a completely different game than what you're usually playing. And, and, the way you summed it up there and the way you sum it up in the podcast too is, is, is amazing. Like that you have to do that. And I think I wrote it down in my notes that if I ever play band and dunes, I wrote it down in my notes that I, if I play band and dunes, I need to play the part three course first. So that's very, very helpful. Yeah. There you go. Can I get meta for a second? Yeah. 
So uh, it's kind of like life in the way of like, think about how often you go to a place like abandon and the entire time you're kind of fighting the fact that it's different, right? You're fighting the fact that what you know isn't working. Whereas imagine you just accept that it's different. And yeah. the fact that it's different, that means you're not going to play it very often, which means that it's a really unique, fun experience, you know? And it's, it's so interesting to me how just what we focus on could make that trip super frustrating, which is a tragedy, really. Yeah. It's such a special place. Um, versus feeling on cloud nine regardless of how you're playing because you're playing in a different way and guess what you've never played that way mm. so there's gonna be a lot of things that you learn along the way because you never do it just like scotty shuffler said exactly. so you know i think that's a good reminder for a lot of stuff of like sometimes you just gotta you know accept what is yeah instead of pushing against it and wishing for something different you know yeah absolutely Speaking of something completely different and an amazing experience. Nice segue. Um, I, I know, because we talked about it earlier, I know you knew I was bringing this up, but, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, this, is, this year, was this the first time you went to the Masters this yeah. year? And yep. you were able to share, and did you guys win the lottery or was it so, that you were able to get tickets somehow? I won the lottery. Or, um, I remember watching that, I think, uh, I think I saw it on the Friday because I know you went on the Thursday, but I think you, I saw your recap video of you guys getting up at 4 a.m. and going there and, 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 you know, being able to share it with your dad and being able to share it with your family. Like, just talk about the, I, I wish Tim was still here because Tim actually won the lottery for next year. So he's going, oh, amazing. Um, but just, just kind of share the experience of being able to go to Augusta national for the first time and kind of seeing it as, you know, I, I think I think it's probably the greatest course in the world if you're not if you're not including like St Andrews history yeah. like I would think Augusta National is probably the greatest course in the world um, and obviously prestigious everything like that but just what's it like getting to Augusta and and going up the you know going up that beautiful uh, you know beautiful driveway and, and getting in there yeah I mean. Look, I'll quick story was first time I ever uh, applied for the lottery was in 2010 and I won and I was like, oh, that was easy. And I was 22 years old. I just started working at uh, TaylorMade's ad agency in San Diego. And just so you know, when you start in advertising, like I negotiated, my negotiation got me to like 28 grand a year. Okay. So I'm making dirt. And I'm still playing golf every week, every weekend. I was literally like paycheck to paycheck, but I was not going to not play golf in San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, so it's funny. I thought it was easy. And then I went 12 years uh, not getting it. And by the way, I sold those tickets because I couldn't afford to go. So I sold them to someone in Atlanta and a friend of a friend. And so I had never been, and I thought it was easy. And then year after year, I get that email, just like everybody else that says, sorry, you didn't win. Um, I actually won in 2019 for 2020, but it got, you know, obviously with COVID and then COVID. it got pushed because of the limited attendance in 2021. So we got pushed to 2022 
And, um, you know, it really was such a special experience. I kind of describe it as like, um, it was like, oh, what did I compare it with? It was like the combination of like the Truman show mixed <laughs> with like field of dreams in the sense of like, you know, there's always like inclement weather that time of year. So the day before the people, I had Wednesday tickets, the people that had Tuesday tickets got rained out at 10 AM. So just imagine the people that win the lottery, you only get one day. I'm pretty yeah. sure you can only get one day, um, four tickets max. So, you know, unless you're spending a lot of money to get tickets for more days, you know, we flew out from Monday to Thursday just to go on Wednesday, you know, traveled full day, travel day from LA. So we played golf on Tuesday to go Wednesday. If we were going to get rained out on Thursday or on Wednesday, it's a very real possibility that we only might get a couple hours. So, you know, we're there and luckily we got, um, there was a delay for like 20 minutes. We had to leave. That was another surprising thing. You can't stay in. You have to rains. leave the course. You have to leave and go to your cars. And it's the, the reason why I say Truman Show is because this voice echoes in Augusta National. You have no idea where it's coming from. In the trees. <laughs> and it's saying, there is a weather advisory. Please go back to your cars and turn to this radio station and tune in. It's very old school um, for when, if you can come back. And so we left for 20 minutes. Luckily we were able to come back in and we had already shopped and gotten merch and stuff. But um, that was the weird thing that, that I would do differently is because of the weather, the looming weather, luckily we got to go back in. We stayed till 4 PM um, for the par three tournament, which was awesome. But um, I was kind of like, we need to walk every hole. And because we needed to walk every hole before the rain was coming by like 10 AM, I didn't have as much time to really like really savor it, mm -hmm. you know, and really sit on each hole. And I didn't really care about watching shots. Personally, I cared about seeing the course. Yeah. Um, so if I could do it, I mean, I don't know if I could really do it differently in that scenario because I, I didn't want to miss a hole, mm -hmm. but if there's a way for you to walk the course and then there's a way for you to go back and get your chair and sit and like amen corner, you know, or 13 was amazing. Just being on that fairway and seeing that par five, that iconic par five. And it's off in the distance and almost looks fake. It almost looks like a green screen. You know, I have a picture of my dad and my, my buddy and my brother touching the grass just to make sure it was real. Um, and so there's definitely like this air to it. The fact that nobody has phones, people are really friendly. Like people talk to each other about what's going on. What did you hear? There's no checking updates on your phone. Everyone's giddy to be there. It's very similar to the, my first time I went to St. Andrews. It's like um, everyone's just having one of the best days of their life. And there's a real energy to that. And it's a, it's a beautiful, and I didn't, I didn't imagine that it would be so big. Yeah. Everyone talks about the um, elevation change. That is true. It's massive, but the, the massiveness of the property, it's epic. You know, the holes are just so, so massive 
that it's, uh, you feel like a little ant, <laughs> you know, in an experiment. So yeah, it was amazing. I can't wait. Hopefully I can go back and just find my spot and sit and take it all in. Oh. But um, yeah, it, it's an amazing place. That's, that's, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I know, I know when Tim, when Tim listens back, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll be very excited and he'll definitely take your, uh, your, your opportunities on that. So uh, Evan, before we wrap up, we, we always ask two questions from everyone. Uh, first off, any holes in one? Uh, yes, but there's a debate on it. So maybe you can have your listeners oh, debate it. Oh, it was like at an executive course on, in San Diego called Loma Santa Fe. It was 105 yards. I okay. hit it over a bunker. I was like 23, still working in that ad job. And I, everyone I was with was like belligerent drunk. So when it, people were going crazy, at first I thought they were punking me. And then I had crazy anxiety because I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to afford buying everybody drinks. Um, I believe that rule should be reversed personally, but, um, but yeah, so I don't know. I believe it's a hole in one because most par threes, most hole in ones are par threes. Yeah. But um, no, that counts. Some people say an executive course, par three course. So I've always dreamed of like getting an iconic hole in one, you know, at like Bandon or Sand Valley or in Scotland or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but it was amazing. I mean, I, I didn't see it go in. So I walked up and I got a little, you know, a little sheet and everything, but yes, technically I do. No, that counts. No, not technically. Yeah. Not technically. No, that counts. <laughs> Thank it's you. over a hundred yards. It's a it's a core. Okay. If it's a par three course, right? If it's just a it might have been playing course. 95 though. No. So <laughs> who cares? Who cares at that? I'll I'll bring out the Bostonian in me. Who cares? Sound like Peter Griffin over here. Uh oh my god. No, but hey, that that counts for me. Anything over if it's like that, that that that's good in my book. So you got you got the duffing up approval on that side heck i would i would almost count mini golf freaking holes in one so you know i'm a little i'm a little different on that side but uh uh but yeah no that's that's fantastic we do not have any holes in one which kind of sucks but we'll get there we're gonna get there i think one of my buddies uh posted that he just got a hole in one and you know he's not the best golfer in the world and he doesn't really take it seriously and he goes out like you know once every 3 months and i'm like son of a bitch you know what i mean like i'm just yeah. like are you joking like i'm out here grinding and and you get it it's it's brutal but again back to back to the positiveness got to get the yeah. positiveness back yeah. um and final question that we always or i guess i'll do two, the two final questions if you don't mind so first yeah. one it's it's what Tim calls his golf. So we have golfer poles. So we it's not really a golfer pole in this situation. You have your backyard, and your backyard can be any hole on any golf course ever. And it's just mm. in your backyard. What 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 hole would it be? Wow. No restrictions on land. No restriction. It's your backyard, so it could be at if, if you were going to say abandon, it's, it's banned. It's, uh, you know, your backyard is hole 12 abandoned dunes or hole 18 yeah. abandoned dunes, anything like that, man, that is a great question. Um, originally I was like, got to do a par three because it's just so fun and easy. You could just hit shots all day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I can't, can I not say short game area and a hole? It's like only a hole. Like, could I say a full short game area instead of a hole? I mean, is it going to be, what's it, is it going to be the cradle at Pinehurst? (laughs) It's not going to be the cradle at Pinehurst. It would be, well, all right. I I was thinking like, cause Mark Wahlberg's, you know, backyard's amazing with all of the like different short, I I could just geek out on short game all day. And I've seen that make such a difference in the games. So on one hand, I kind of want to say that, but to answer your question directly, I'm in between two. My first thing I thought of was number 10 at Riviera. Okay. It's one of my favorite par fours in the world because I love holes that you can play it differently every time mm-hmm. and kind of see, you know, which, which is, what's the best way to play it. Yep. Um, the other hole I would say, I didn't expect to say this, but that's right up there with it is number one at sheep ranch at Bandon dunes number okay. one at sheep ranch is the best opening hole i've ever played it kind of goes a little uphill gotcha and you get over this crevice and it just goes right to the ocean and there's this amazing ghost oh. tree it's actually this right here this picture behind me okay. is a picture of the green site at gotcha. sheep ranch number one you could look it up on youtube oh i will um, now i will 100%. it opens up and you go down it's just such a calm opening if I left my house and could walk up this hill and play a par five, reachable par five, and then walk down to the ocean and just keep yeah. doing that over and over, that's pretty epic. So it's, awesome. I, it's a tie between those two. That's, that's awesome. a cop-out answer. No, no, no. We're, we're, ties are allowed. So okay. I will push back on your par three thing, though, because most of us, so I say uh, number 18 at Harbortown Golf Links because I – uh, I lived in Hilton Head for a while, and it's absolutely amazing. You're going into the, you're going into the 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 lighthouse, the famous lighthouse, and the tees are back enough where it could be a short par five, like if you really wanted to. Like the the pro tees, I think are five hundred are over five hundred yards. So I'm like, yes, that that that's that that at the par five in my book. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I know Mike. I know uh, some of the guys also say like uh, eighteen at pebble because you can play with par fives you can play it as a three you could you could shorten it and just play oh. from 150 yards in you can play it as a par four and you can play it from you know right behind you know about i would say like 100 yards behind the the tall the the tall tree in the middle of the fairway or you can go all the way back and play it as a par five too so that's like that, that was always our debate would you go par three par four par five and then it turned into well what hole so I, I have a that. little bit of a bias towards Hilton Head. And, uh, you know, if you hear any of our other episodes, uh, one of our guys, Brian's like, stop talking about Hilton Head. Never, <laughs> never. Um, so I picked that one. And then we got a bunch of other ones too. And uh, finally, last, last question, I promise. You are on a deserted island for an entire year by yourself. You have one club that you can hit as many biodegradable balls into the ocean. You have short, you know, you have a, you have a putting green, you have, uh, you know, you don't have a full hole or anything, but you basically have a driving range and a, and a chipping putting area. What club are you going to pick for an entire year to play with? That's another good question. Hmm. 
I mean, first I'm like, you got to go with a wedge because like I could chip around all day, you know, mm-hmm. and just like leave this deserted Island. I get to, I get saved like uh, Tom Hanks and <laughs> Castaway, And instead of sleeping on the floor, you know, turning the light on and off missing Wilson, I could be like this short game machine. So as much as I would love to be hitting, you know, like a beautiful seven iron or like mashing my three wood or my driver, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to go with, uh, I think I'm going to go with the 60 degree. Okay. It's going to get really good with my 60 degree. It can work on the bunkers from the sand. Absolutely. I can chip around. It's tough to not say putter because it's fun to putt, but I think I could get more creative and have more fun with chipping around different lies and stuff, different yardages. I could hit full wedge if I want. Oh yeah. No, I said putter and I got ruthlessly destroyed. Yeah. I got, they were just like, why would you say putter? Why yeah. would you? And uh, the rest of them said driver, or I think Brian might've said seven iron, but yeah. So it's very interesting to hear kind of those. We, we love doing that just because it gets, you know, you get to hear all these different answers and it's amazing. So yeah. fantastic. Well, Evan, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you are not following the par train, please go follow it. It is one of the best across social media. It's, it's by far and away one of the best accounts wherever. If you're on TikTok, if you're on Instagram, if you're on Twitter, um it's a fantastic follow and and we really appreciate you kind of coming on and and sharing your story with us today evan yeah thank you man i appreciate it this is fun um feel free to dm me anytime with mental game questions things you're struggling with happy to help um and that goes for your listeners too i love getting people's messages i do the best i can to reply to every one of them so if there's questions um, or you listen to an episode and you're not quite sure how to take it to the course, feel free to DM me and I'm happy to help. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.